0: Hi, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's podcast about the world of comics and graphic novels. I'm Heidi McDonald, the co editor of PW Comics World, our newsletter, and as well as the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly. And you can check it out check us out at Publishers Weekly Slash Comics. Um, today I am here with uh, David F. Walker, (laughs) correct, yes, I have the middle initial, David F. Walker, uh, the writer of Dynamite's upcoming Shaft comic book, which is coming out next month in December, Uh, well, almost next month, it's still October, but uh, in a few short weeks, and you are also a filmmaker, a author, uh, written several books, including the Badass Mofo collection, uh, Reflections on Black Exploitation, and Becoming Black, uh, personal reflections on uh, ramblings on racial identification, racism, and popular culture, uh, and several comic books also from Monkey Brain and Dark Horse. Did I get it all right, David?
1: Uh, yeah, there's some more stuff, but then a- after a point it just sounds like I'm bragging. Right.
0: So. Right. Well, you do a lot of things. I guess you are a hyphenate multimedia magnate. Let's put it that way. Um, but, you know, I was really looking forward to talking to you. Uh, first off, bringing back Shaft uh, in the comics. Obviously, I know we overuse the word iconic, but if there's truly an icon, it would be Shaft, as seen in the movies and also in the novels, of course. Uh, and Bringing him to comics is very exciting. And then, of course, there's been so much else Uh, This week with the announcement of the Black Panther movie and with all the writings that you've done, I thought, my goodness, if there was a person I really want to talk to about all of these developments, it would be David F. Walker. So, (laughs) dreams can come true. But uh, speaking of which, uh, would you say that writing Shaft comic book is a dream come true for you?
1: Oh, yes, most definitely. This is... um If there's something beyond a a dream come true, I don't know what it would be, but that would be it. We might have to invent um, (laughs) uh, like some sort of new terminology to to introduce into the popular lexicon. But but that's what it is. It's definitely a dream come true.
0: Um, Now, what was your first introduction to the character?
1: My first introduction to the character um, was my cousin and I were probably about five or six years old, and his father had the um the soundtrack album on vinyl and and my cousin sean pulled it out and showed it to me and was like this is a this is an album from a new movie that's that's out actually i think the movie probably already been out for probably about two or three years at that point to be (laughs) honest with you um but my jaw just kind of hit the ground because i i'd never seen anything like that i was probably six years old five six years old um Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of one of those pivotal moments of my childhood that just sort of changed. And and I remember, you know, it it said something to the effect of, you know, badder than Bond, meaner than Bullet. And I was like, how can anyone be badder than James Bond? (laughs) And it turns out he kind of
0: is. (laughs) Right, that's true. Now, uh, surely you didn't see the film at the tender age of six.
1: I I didn't. I, I was probably... (sighs) <sighs> you know, I you know I've never done the research on this. Whenever it was broadcast on television for the first time, would have been when I saw it for the first time. So I, I must have been probably about ten or eleven by the time I'd seen okay. Shaft. Um, and you know, and I and I grew up in a household where we had you know subscriptions to Ebony and and Jet magazine, and so I would flip through those all the time. And so I was I was really aware of. Not just Shaft, but all these other movies that that I wasn't old enough to go see, or they weren't playing near me, whatever the case might be. Um, and so I was I was really sort of fascinated with those as a kid. It, it, Shaft being the the one that sort of sparked my imagination, but then it was quickly followed by some other key characters. Okay.
0: Um, well, you know, we could do a whole podcast talking about seventies movies and why they're so awesome. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, this is a comics podcast, so we will. <laughs> yeah, we could touch on that. But uh, um, you, you know, so, so uh, when did you read the the novels of of um, by Ernest Heideman, who cr- created the character originally? Or-
1: um, yeah, I read the first novel. I had to have been in my early twenties. I was I was a pretty weird kid growing up in that. If I saw a movie and and I noticed that there was a credit in the titles that said "based on the book by," I would diligently track down that book and read it. Um, and so that's kind of how it was with Shaft. I I, I must have been in my really early twenties when I when I read that one, and then. Um, they were actually really hard to come by for a long time. They're still actually pretty hard to come by, although that's getting ready to change and and so over the years, I've read all of them uh, but the first one, I would have to say I was probably twenty or twenty one when I read it and and it kind of blew my mind. it really did because I knew that that there were shaft books, but they were they were pretty difficult to get my hands on, and it was a, a lot like when I read my first James Bond book after seeing the movies i was much younger in that case so uh-huh. i think i read my first james bond book i was probably about nine years old um like i said i was a weird kid so
0: well you um, know just to throw this in here the first movie i ever remember seeing was i think goldfinger as a child so you know and i was very little so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> formative years formative scars anyway i'm sorry to continue <laughs> so yes yeah, so um so you had you you were had read the james bond books as well and
1: yeah, and and it was just and it was sort of the same revelation for me which was when I read my first Ian Fleming book. It was like, "Oh, wait a sec. There's more to this character than what we're seeing in the movies." Um and that was I was of course really young at that point and so it didn't come as that much of a surprise that that the character that Ernest Tidyman created in the books was more fleshed out than in the movies because at that point I'd seen by the time I'd read the first Shaft novel. I'd actually seen all three of the movies, um, but I was, uh, but it still was a pleasant surprise to see that there was there was more depth uh, to the character, and and that's what really drew me in. That's when I really started thinking this would be kind of interesting to do something with this character.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, so now uh, let's flash forward to a little bit later, and uh, obviously Dynamite is is bringing Shaft back, and I think really the only Time he's been seen elsewhere was, of course, the reboot, and um, yeah. which which I know you've gone on record as saying you weren't a fan of. But um, <laughs> the uh, but you know now it's coming back. I mean, is this the first time really that the the Shaft character has been um, licensed out, or have there been other uh, iterations of the character? Or
1: no, this is and, – and this is a really interesting, you know, thing to, that I think speaks to how iconic the character is. You know, there was, there was three movies that came out in the early 70s. There was a, a very short-lived TV series in the 70s that also starred Richard Roundtree. And then there was the movie that was Samuel L. Jackson. And then there were seven books, six of which have been out of print since basically, I think, about 78 or 79 – and yet, somehow, miraculously, this character has managed to endure, even though um, he's not out there nearly as much as certain other characters are, both whether it's film or uh, mm-hmm. literature, and in terms of comics, this is the this is his, his debut. Mm-hmm. They, they tried Ernest Tidyman did try to start a Shaft comic. Uh, That's my understanding. I've never seen anything from it. It's just something that I've read briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, And and I think that his initial goal was to do uh, a daily comic strip that was similar to the – like there had been a a james Bond comic strip in the sixties
0: right They'd right. it
1: ran in a lot of newspapers
0: ah uh, so when do you th- when do you know do you know when he tried to do this was this like a contemporary of the seventies or yes this this ah. was in the seventies
1: this was in the seventies and and there's there's a uh, there's a gentleman out of uh the u k who is working on a, a a book that's sort of the the quintessential history of shaft in the mm. character of shaft he's almost obs- as obsessed as i am and so we sort of we've been going back and forth with emails and both of us been trying to track down apparently there were some sample pages drawn to this comic um and so we've both been sort of looking for that so oh, do you know who right-
0: the artist is it was uh it was a
1: gentleman by the name of don rico
0: Ah, Don Rico. It sounds like a the perfect name, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ah, well, okay. Lost comics history there. Um yep. wow, interesting. Well, so um I I remember uh when Nick Barucci, the publisher of Dynamite, uh announced that he was getting the shaft uh license and there was a lot of excitement and um You know, there was some discussion over who should write it, I think, internally or, you know, speculation online. And, you know, not to, again, this is is another topic that, you know, we should definitely dig into a little bit later. But, you know, I think there was some kind of common consensus like it really should be a a writer of color uh, who writes this. (laughs) But um, how did you get connected to Dynamite?
1: Okay, so this is the this is the crazy story, um, and 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 it keeps coming up, and, and people sort of look at me with disbelief that uh, that this is how it happened. I actually contacted Ernest Tidyman's widow, mm-hmm. Chris Clark Tidyman, and said, you know, hey, I really would like to take this character and turn you know turn him into a comic character, do either adaptations or original stories. And she was very open and receptive to the idea, so she got me in touch with the uh, with the agency that that reps the Tideman Estate, and then we got the dialogue going. And they said, "Hey, if you if you want to license it or know someone who wants to license it, we're ready to talk." So I put together a very very short list of publishers that I I thought would be interested in doing this. And when I say very short list, I mean Dynamite was at the mm-hmm, top of the yeah. list. Um, I was looking at the other licensed stuff that they were doing and looking at um, not just the other licensed stuff that they were doing, but the content of, of how it was being presented. And I felt that Shaft really needed to be like, you know, uh, I didn't want to be a PG or a PG-13 comic. right? And, and so I reached out to Dynamite and said, hey, are you guys interested in doing a Shaft comic? I really want to write one. And the estate is ready to talk business and dynamite got back to me and said yeah we'd actually like to do that and that's sort of how the whole thing came together so i i i went after the character and then uh and then went after a publisher that i Mm. felt would would be right the right fit
0: Uh
1: Um, so so which is uh, it's very different than than a lot of other how a lot of other writers get involved and and so i think that there's been a lot of people who are sort of shocked when my name came up because they were like, well, wait, first off, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily know me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then there was a lot of other people that were like, how did you beat out so many other people? And I and it's like, well, it was um, you know, I was it, it was, it was me being very proactive rather than reactive.
0: Right, right. And you know, there's a lot of different lessons there um, just in terms of looking at material and, you know, I mean, it is amazing that this this great character, as you mentioned, um, was uh, kind of just sitting around, not not really anything happening with it. And you know, sometimes um, you know the early early bird gets the worm. There in that case, so um, well. So so this was definitely a dream come true, and you made yeah. the dream happen. That, that's amazing, David. Now. As far as the comics go, where do they fit in with the Shaft chronology? Are they tied into the novels? Are they, you know, based on the movies? Like, where where do they? Are they prequels, sequels? Where do they fit? In?
1: <laughs> well, they are they are definitely tied into the novels first and foremost. The 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 movies themselves, two of the three two of the three original movies with Richard Roundtree were based on novels, uh-huh. and so in that regard they're tied into the novels, um, more so than the films. They're original stories. They're period pieces. The first story arc that I'm working on right now is chronicles really how Shaft becomes a private detective. And and before he becomes a private detective, he works for a private detective agency that's similar to the Pinkertons, uh, but I, I changed the name. and And so it's about... This guy who's in his early 20s, who's, uh, who's just gotten back from Vietnam and really trying to find his way in the world. And, and he, you know, he, he, at one point he thought he was going to be a professional boxer. And then at another point he went to college and thought he was going to be a lawyer. And then through a twist of fate, he ends up working at this detective agency, basically doing store security, but then gets caught up in a case. That's way out of his league Mm -hmm. and and so that's the first story arc and it and sort of breaks down it's kind of like an origin story except you know um he's not bitten by a spider or you know uh (laughs) crash landing from another planet it's just sort of the the making of a man
0: right right wow this sounds really really fascinating um i mean what uh uh, what i've seen i saw the original shaft Uh, film a few years ago and it really does make you fall in love with new york all over again i mean it's such you know again those movies set in new york in the 70s are just so quintessentially gritty and yet you know the beauty of the city is kind of in this this you know magical time (laughs) a magical time of crime true but luckily there were men and women to fight it at the time as well um and, I mean, it certainly is a time period that that's um, rife with storytelling possibilities. Um, uh, now, was there any thought given to updating the character at all?
1: You know, there, on my part, no. I never wanted to. So I'll be honest with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a very, very brief conversation that, um, was, that occurred at one point and said, you know, where it was suggested, you know, do we want to make this more contemporary? And, you know, I... Said you know I don't think it'll work. That that was that was basically my extent of it. I don't know what the how the tidymen estate um, dealt with that question. Uh, but for me, part of the magic of the character there was there's a couple things. One is that when you're when you're writing a period piece like this, it's you know late 60s, early 70s. Um, I don't know. There's something there's something about not having cell phones and something about not having the internet that makes um, detective work really a little bit more interesting, you know, uh-huh. like they really have to sort of get down in the streets and, and investigate. <laughs> and so that that really appealed to me. Um, but then, you know, Tidyman's character in the books, he's a Vietnam vet. And, um, and I could have easily, you know, if we'd updated it, we could have made it contemporary, we could have had him be a Gulf War vet or something like that. But I, I really want to explore some of the dynamics that were going on in America during the '60s and '70s, um, with vets returning and you know returning from the war in Vietnam, and then still dealing with the struggles uh, that were going on during the civil rights era, and in and sort of the aftermath of it, especially you know with sort of the late '60s, post assassination of Dr. King, uh, assassination of the Kennedys, that sort of stuff, and yeah. and so. To, to really get into that era, I think it allows you to um to really touch upon some relevant things without it seeming as heavy handed uh, and by that I mean one of the things i'm really dealing with is what shaft's going through as a guy as a as a returning vet right right a- and and I think that if I were to try to make some of these statements and have him be a returning vet from um from the Iraq War, from Afghanistan, I, I think that that it, it might come across too heavy-handed. We're still living in that moment. Uh-huh. Whereas, um, you know, the 70s, you can write about some of these things, you can write about Watergate, you can make these sort of profound political statements, but it doesn't seem as heavy-handed because you're, you're doing it through the lens of what's already happened. Uh-huh.
0: Right. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, I mean I agree with you the historical context of the character is is very important. And um yeah, darn it, now I'm hearing this echo. Hold on one second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh the beauties of technical <laughs> Um okay. Um hopefully I'll cut that out. Um yeah, so the the time frame of, of the character's original appearance um Obviously, is very potent. I mean, what you know? I I mean, this is not for for me to you know talk about so much racial stereotypes. Uh, you know, so much. But it, even as an observer, or you know, someone who enjoys diversity and their and their entertainment, like it just seems like it's harder to do a character like like John Shaft today. Um, you know, I mean I guess Will Smith could play the character, you know, I mean if Will Smith appears in a movie, obviously he's one of the world's greatest movie stars or Denzel Washington. But but it seems like like these kind of characters, you know, like the whole black exploitation era or or, you know, specifically heroes uh who were of color it it doesn't seem like there's that much uh I don't know they haven't been as prevalent now is that just my imagination or Oh no you know? it's not your imagination okay. it's
1: it's definite and you know th- there was this sort of calculated um science to what I was thinking when when I th- Went after this project. I mean, I always wanted to do a shaft comic um, for for years, and I was making you know sort of a list of dream projects that I wanted to do, and then I was making a list of um, sort of the the types of stories that I wanted to tell, the issues that I wanted to delve into, and I was looking at you know in terms of mainstream comics, I was looking at characters that. I would be able to tell those stories with, Uh Um, you know, every publisher has their set of toys, whether it's Marvel or DC, or then there's creator-owned stuff. And and everything I kept looking at in terms of goals and the types of stories I wanted to do, the issues I wanted to tackle, kept coming back to, well, you're either going to have to create an original black character, character of color or you're going to have to find one to be licensed. You mm-hmm. know, because Marvel's never going to let you do this the, you know, a Falcon story the way you want right. to do it or or you know, Black Lightning is never going to tackle the sort of issues that that I I want to tackle. And and it was like all, you know, that all roads led back to Shaft. And and I was pretty intimidated at, initially at the prospect not of writing the character but Of just you know, I kept thinking, well, there's no way it's going to happen. There's no way anybody's going to say yes to this. There's no way um, the character is available. Surely somebody must have thought to try to do this before. And it turns out, you know, that I was I was wrong that (laughs) that that no one else really had tried too hard to do it before. Um, And 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 suddenly a lot of pieces started to fall together. You know, you're, you're talking about. New York in the 70s and, you know, I've been very fascinated with sort of the history of of crime and poverty in America and, you know, that's one of the the stories, that's part of an overarching long-form story I'm hoping to tackle with Shaft, is like sort of looking at the the um, collapse of inner city America and and the rise of drugs, the the rise of drug gangs and drug lords, and and told from the point of view of a guy who is really only one or two steps away from either being one of one of the bad guys or being one of the good guys. Uh-huh. He's and that's what makes him such a fascinating character is because he's he's not a cop and he's not a criminal. He's hated by both. But also respected by both, right? And and that's pretty fascinating,
0: right? Well, you, I think I read that one of your objections to uh, the reboot, which starred uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Shaft's nephew, yeah, Scrappy Doo, um, <laughs> was that he was a cop, yeah. and you said that was not uh, in line with the Shaft character.
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, and it's 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 really interesting because that part of the magic of Shaft as a character is that he operates outside of a system. He he operates in a world that's very unique just to him. And for for him to be whether he's a cop or whether he was like a mob enforcer, would put him in a world where he's living by somebody else's rules. Mm-hmm. And 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 he needs to he needs to live by his own rules as much as anybody can in this society
0: right right um so this is a, a plan for six issues correct o- only six to start with so, only
1: six to start so, with I, I I haven't told I haven't told Nick this but I'm gonna be writing shaft for a long time <laughs> <laughs> sales are gonna have to be really bad right. for for them to kick me off this right book, well so. we're
0: gonna get we're gonna get everybody out there and um you know to to buy this comic and the sales will be so uh insane that the, you know they'll have to keep doing it um you also wrote recently about um, uh, the Falcon. Now, it's a very interesting time. Like on our podcast here at Publishers Weekly, um, which is normally uh, we have roundtables every other week, which is myself, Calvin Reed, and um, Kate Fitzsimons. and we talk a- quite a bit about you know women in comics and diversity in comics, you know, just constantly. Yep. And um, so, I mean, every we just. You know, it, and it seems to be that 2014 is, you know, the year the, the dams broke or whatever. It just seems like people are talking about this so much. And, you know, early in the year, there was a lot of talk about when Sam Wilson, a.k.a. the Falcon, became Captain America at Marvel. And, you know, you, you I mean, one of the reasons I was interested in talking to you is you don't seem to be too afraid of speaking your mind. And, um, you know, <laughs> you, you had some issues with that.
1: Um, I, I do. Yes. I issues with that. Um well, you know, f- you know, I'm 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 not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not young either, right? right? And and I have a halfway decent memory. So, I I remember like gimmicks like this in the past. Um I pointed out that something I wrote that, you know, at one point Mark Wade wrote a Captain America story where Sam Wilson took over as Falcon. Um I think there was at least one other instance in the 70s where where sam donned the you know the the, the patriotic costume of steve rogers mm-hmm. and, th- and the fact of the matter is is that by may you know may 2015 when the new avengers movie comes out steve rogers will be back to being yeah. captain america well
0: uh excuse me hasn't uh like roadie put on the iron man armor many times as well <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and so, I mean you know, he did become got, war machine also, but you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, he's and 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 you know and that's the thing it's uh, they've got Rhodey in in the new Avengers movie, um, you know they I I don't know if Sam Wilson's going to be in it, but they're still you know by and large those characters are still sidekicks. I mean, as much as I enjoyed Captain America: Winter Soldier, and I, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit, Sam Wilson was a sidekick in that movie. Falcon yeah. was a sidekick. Yeah. I mean, and, he was and
0: delightful and wonderful, but yeah.
1: Yeah, he was he was great. But, um, you know, you, in terms of Falcon, you're looking at a character who's been around. I, I want to say he was introduced in 1969, which uh, makes him 45 years old now, 45, 46 years old, something like that. And he really doesn't have a definitive story yet. I mean, for for a character that's as known as recognizable as he is, like, you know and i hate to say this but i I have yet to read a single captain america falcon story short of steve Englehart's run in the 70s when it was revealed that you know falcon was a sleeper agent for the red skull that was like oh okay this character's had his moment right and 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 it's it's there's so much there but every it seems like every falcon story is the same thing it's like Oh, he's, you know, working as a social worker and someone calls him an Uncle Tom and then he beats up some gangbangers. <laughs> you know? He's 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 never taken on Galactus, he's never taken on these these right. these really um huge characters. And and I feel like and it's not to say that there aren't writers out there who could do something with him. It's either they're not trying hard enough or Marvel's just like sort of sitting around and, and they're being lazy and, right. and, you know, you could stick me in a room with any executive from Marvel and I would tell them to their face, you're being lazy with this. You're being lazy by, you know, uh, having Thor become a woman. And we all know that, you know, once, again, once the new Avengers movie comes out, Thor will go back to being a man and unless sales are really, really good that character will be banished to the beta ray bill status right right you know right. and 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 women and people of color and and underrepresented groups we deserve more than that and and the fact that we go so nuts over this stuff and gobble it up sh- tells us how much we really truly want it right and and yet they're giving us crumbs you know right. they it's it's um and it becomes infuriating after a while.
0: Well, it's interesting in that, you know, the Winter Soldier, I, I did notice at the end of the movie, you had, uh, you know, Cap, Nick Fury, the Falcon, the Black Widow, and, and Maria Hill standing around trying to save the world, only one of whom is a white man, um, yeah. but the movie is named after him. Um, yeah. You know, and I, and I mean, I thought that was a perfect perfect symbol for yeah. you know how this is i mean i really appreciated the you know the diversity of that scene and you know, that scene it just was cool you know these are all cool characters and the the acting and, the, and that movie was so engaging and um you know everybody was really cool and uh, but you know it still has to be the um you know the the lack of diversity in the main heroes well, that is changing just this week, uh, because they announced that they are finally going to make a Black Panther film, uh, starring Chadwick Boseman as, uh, T'Challa. And, you know, he's also played James Brown and Jackie Robinson. So I think that's kind of the trifecta of, uh, heroic characters there. But, um, yeah, yeah. what, what, <laughs> what do you think of that? What do you think of the Black Panther movie news? Um, you know, I am.
1: I am as excited as I, I can get these days. A couple, a couple days ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, you know, I never thought the day would come when someone would ask me, Hey, have you seen the new X-Men movie? And I'd be like, nah, I'm waiting for the video. Right.
0: <laughs> right. That's I, true. I, I never
1: thought we were going to be living in, in these sort of times. You know, I, 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 some of these movies I've loved, some I've hated. Um, and I, and I love going to see them. And I think it's great that Black Panther is getting his, his own movie. I'm, I'm, you know, interested in what this Luke Cage series will be like for Netflix, um, and and you know and I, and and I support all this stuff. I'm I'm the ulti- I'm a consumer just like everybody else. I fork over my money to Disney and Warner Brothers and all these other big corporations, um, but I'm also a big fan of you know publishers that aren't Marvel and aren't DC. And there's a lot of stuff out there that that really promotes diversity that I become concerned my concern with the Black Panther movie is that it will appease the masses in such a way that they will not go out and seek other things Mm -hmm. um and 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 it's that sort of smoke and mirrors it's like hey now you've got some diversity there's a captain there's going to be a Carol Danvers movie Hey, there's going to be a Black Panther movie. See, now you don't need to complain anymore. And and the reality is is that we should never stop complaining. Mm-hmm. That you know, um, that, that there should be. If, if you go to a convention like in San Diego or New York City Comic Con, um, women and people of color are the majo- or are the majority, right? And especially those two shows, the two biggest shows in North America, women and people are, of color are the majority. And they are consumers, and they, but but it is not reflective in what they consume.
0: Well, interestingly, um, you know, I've written about this on, on my own site, The Beat, several times. But you know, a few years ago, Tom Brevoort made a pretty famous statement. Tom Brevoort is the executive editor of Marvel, and on his on his Tumblr, asked me anything. He said, you know, we really want to try to have. You know, heroes who are black and heroes who are, you know, different races, but you guys don't buy them. So that's the problem. And um, I I mean, I've pointed out that, you know, especially, you know, I live in New York, so I I see this everywhere. And, you know, I grew up around here. I grew up in New Jersey. And I mean, there's always been a huge, huge interest in Marvel characters in um you know these communities i mean oh. i was wu-tang clan is you know all they all based on marvel stuff and uh, you know i mean yeah, am no. i imagining that as well no
1: you're not imagining that as well it's <laughs> it's it's just you know sometimes people see what they choose to see and they ignore other things and um you know growing up as a kid i, I grew up right outside new york city in connecticut and um you know, all my cousins were, you know, like myself. We were kids of color, and we all we all read Marvel. Most of us didn't read DC. Um, uh, and 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 the thing is, is that there's this there's a sort of visibility factor, um, and, and I don't get it. I don't get how anyone can say, you know, well, black folks aren't buying comics especially if they've ever set foot again in, in New York City Comic Con.
0: Right. Or
1: even San Diego Comic Con. Now they, I get it if you go to the Salt Lake City Comic yeah, Con. Yeah.
0: But if, even if you go to a New York City comic shop, I mean Exactly. You know, it's it's like New York. It's a very diverse and, you know, multifaceted place.
1: It is. And and the, and the the key thing is is that some people get it and some people don't get it. And and I feel like, you know, I've never met Tom, I've never met him personally, I, I have nothing bad to say about him, um, uh, and and but I do think that uh, there are just some people who, it's very difficult for them to look outside of the box that they've been existing in, even if they think they are looking outside the box right and and you know and i i you know i'm famous for this i've I've written about this sort of stuff at length um you know you i i love a movie like you know i love the lord of the rings movies i love i love uh um you know uh peter jackson's trilogy sure but at the same time there's not a single person of color anywhere in middle earth
0: right and although you know, you know in the books he said many times the hobbits had brown skin <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, you know and i've had people argue with me like well you know there and i was like no there's no excuse because it there's like you you're gonna tell me that in the shire there couldn't have been like one asian hobbit <laughs> or one or one <laughs> hobbit who was clearly black and you know i went and saw the 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 that most recent movie the one that came out last year and I freaked out in the theater because there's there's like a black person in the crowd scene, right. one black person. And I was like, oh, okay. So we know there's at least one lone black person in Middle Earth. Um, but, you know, and I try to point out to people that, that that sort of omission in and of itself is oppressive. You know, you're a kid growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons or Saturday or cartoons after school you know, how long does it take people to realize that in the entire history of the original run of the Flintstones, there wasn't a single person of color? You know, there wasn't a single person of color represented on the Jetsons. All of these things that we've grown up with, that are that are these sort of touchstones of our pop culture. And they're all white. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it's, and it's not to say that Hannah Bar- barbera was a racist, you know, a bunch of racists. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that this this worldview that is, you know, um, very Eurocentric, very, um, pro, you know, very white, very male-centric, um, after a while it sort of crushes, you know, it crushes your spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and And anyone who defends that is defending a system that is is crushing the spirit of you know like Mm -hmm. kids like myself who who you know diligently read comics and diligently watched saturday morning cartoons and would actually get excited like you know if i saw a comic with a black guy in the background on a panel i would get excited (laughs) and that's kind of sad when you think about it you know yeah well
0: were there characters that you really enjoyed reading growing up I did. I mean, you know, um,
1: in terms of mainstream comic characters, uh, that I think my my three favorites in, in this order will always be Spider Man, um, Thing from F- Fantastic Four, and the Incredible Hulk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 all three of them, um, I think, really, sp- you know, aside from the fact that one's green and one's orange, <laughs> also speak to. Uh, sort of the complexities of, of what it means to be a person of color growing up in America. For with Spider Man it was it was he was poor and he didn't even live with his parents, you know, which looked like people that I knew, you know, not not that many white people I knew uh didn't have their parents around, but I, I definitely knew a lot of other kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, who were living with their grandparents or an aunt or an uncle. And um and so that resonated you know with the thing it was just the fact that he didn't fit in no matter how hard he tried right it was a big giant rock and and so that sense of alienation is something that um that i think you know myself as a, as a kid of color felt because um, i grew up in a predominantly white town the only other people of color were mostly my my family and then our immediate neighbors mm-hmm. and then with the hulk it was just that rage. <laughs> like I right. was the angriest little kid and I was angry because like the thing, you know, I didn't fit in and I was, I, I always felt like I was some sort of weird freak.
0: <laughs> what town yeah. did you grow up in?
1: <laughs> uh, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut called, uh, named New Canaan, Connecticut.
0: Okay. Yeah. Which is a
1: very, very rich affluent town. Um, although in the seventies it, it, it wasn't quite like that. And, um, I grew up in the very blue collar neighborhood where everybody who lived in, in the neighborhood I lived in was like either a janitor or a post, you know, a postal worker or something like that. And um, so I grew up with the people who cleaned houses and, and and you know did lawn work and that sort of stuff. And so I, I've got a very blue collar working class mm-hmm. background. Um, growing up in, in what I call in a, a very small oasis of diversity in a very large pond of, um, very, you know, um, homogenized affluent, actually, as well, white America.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, um, I spent, I spent some of my formative years in Connecticut, too, and, um... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's okay. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: I was, and I was just back there, you know, Mm -hmm. I was just back there, and it, 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 it sort of blows my mind. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that I, I received a great public education. Um, but I, I, again, I also grew up in, in a town where a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the kids from my neighborhood, we all got the same education, but we didn't get the same breaks. And, and I, I know a lot of guys that went to jail and had problems with drugs and run-ins with the law and that sort of stuff. And, 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 and all that fits into a much bigger picture of, um, you know, just sort of our society and, and the roles that we become assigned.
0: Right, right. And so, Do you think that popular culture has a role in, in trying to change those those assigned, uh, you know, spots that we try to put people into?
1: It can, but it also is, is um, also responsible for just reinforcing them. Um, and, and so we look at our popular culture and we have to, um, you know, realize that, that it impacts us far, you know, I, I used to not be one of those people, you know, I used to not be (laughs) one of those people that was like, oh, this is, you know, we need to be careful about violence in movies, or we need to be careful about stuff like that. But, but the older I get, the more that I see there are, there, there is definitely an impact, you know, and, um, you know, popular culture, especially film and television, um, is really crucial in shaping how America views itself and views the rest of the world. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's dangerous if, if we don't challenge that from time mm-hmm. to time.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you've also um, brought up something. You, you have a blog that's called, uh, or a website called Badass Mofo, B-A-D-A-Z-Z-M-O-F-O, right? Yep. Um, and you write a lot about these kind of topics there. Um, and uh, one thing you pointed out, now, you know, I'm very much involved with the whole women in comics movement and all that. And one thing I always try to point out is, um, you know, there's a lot to complain about. But uh, if you don't point out the people who are doing things that are good and just try to say, hey, you know what? Here's some awesome comics that a woman wrote or a woman drew. And let's just talk about how good these comics are. You know, you have to kind of point that out, too. And yep. you actually had kind of you had kind of the same uh, comment about, uh, you know, African-American creators so that there were some people saying, oh, there there's none where there actually are. Quite a yep. few. Um, I mean, is is that a common phenomenon as well?
1: Oh yeah, it is most definitely. And and I, you know, we all tend to get caught up in our sort of our personal narrative, our personal agendas. So I I, I always couch my conversations around race and black folks in particular, but it, it it applies across the board. It applies to women. It applies to people with disabilities. Applies to to any any group that's sort of marginalized or, or rendered invisible. And, you know, when it comes to women in comics, I mean, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick is arguably in the top five writers working in the industry right, right now, right. period. Not not one of the best women writers. I want to be very clear about that. And um, and I happen to be really fortunate in that I know Kelly personally, Kelly Sue personally, and, and Jen Van Meter, who also is also... An amazing writer yeah, i, I know, know both of them and you know in in working on shaft developing shaft jen was like really crucial in helping me put that story together as was um her husband greg rucka and you know but jen doesn't get the respect that she deserves right. as a writer for sure yeah. um and and kelly sue gets some of the respect she deserves as a writer and you know but most of the time it's like there's always that um that descriptor before her name is mentioned when they you know women writer or woman writer or female writer or you know and 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 kelly's a Kelly a fierce feminist um but she's also a writer and, right. and 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 while that feminism is 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 seen in her writing, she's just a great writer yeah. and 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 now, if she wants to call herself a feminist writer, that's fine. I just want to call her a great writer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the thing. I think that every person should be free to be the best writer they are, free of these sort of uh, ideological labels or these sort of socio political labels that are placed on us. You don't, you know, if, if, if a person's queer, they can still be a great writer. If a person is disabled, they can still be a great writer. It's, it, it shouldn't be like, oh, they're a great writer for a disabled right, person. Right, like, right. That, that, the, that the concept sh- to me the is... The short
0: is... bus of um, of creativity, yeah.
1: Exactly. It becomes infuriating after yeah. a
0: while. Well, do you think um, it's been a good year for that? I mean, do you think, like... Uh, I mean, certainly a lot has happened. I, I think it was a very, very... Um, kind of a lot of bellwether changes this year. I'm and it you know, look, yeah, I mean, do you, do you feel like things are heading in the right direction? I mean, a static shock uh live action uh pro TV show was just announced for the I think it was the Warner's network. It's for one of those new TV yeah. networks that's that's springing up. But um you know, so there's certainly a lot happening in the multimedia, and you know not to put down the comics, but um you know that does tend to drive a lot of the attention these days and you oh know, yeah, yeah. and uh, but uh, you know, let's talk about you've mentioned a few on your blog and and not to put you on on the spot but, uh you know are there some other comics uh that are um you know notable uh like either for uh inclusiveness or other reasons that you know you think might be interesting to to people who are interested in these topics
1: oh most definitely, I think that um. You know, right off the top of my head, and, and, and before I even answer that, let me just say to anyone who's listening, there's more than what I'm about to mention. It's just that I'm mentioning titles that I know are fairly easy to get your hands on. Okay. Because, because they're um, published and distributed within the, the sort of the mainstream network. Um, and, you know, first and foremost at the top of my list is Concrete Park, By Tony Perrier and Erica Alexander, it's being put out through Dark Horse. One of my favorite comics so far this year. It is, um, it's a sort of title I wish that I'd come up with. It's an idea that I wish I'd come up with, Um, and that's that's it. That's incredible in terms Mm -hmm. of representation and diversity.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that book and the art is amazing. I love Erica's art on it. So
1: yeah, and um, you know, Kelly Sue's Pretty Deadly is amazing uh kelly sue deconic's pretty deadly which she's doing with emma rios at um for image and kelly sue's got another comic coming out called bitch planet which is also amazing i've seen a bunch of advanced stuff from that um jen van meter is doing one right now i i want to say it's dr specter i could be messing it up it's a valiant title um and you know and and that's just that's three right there there's mm-hmm. there's watson and homes that new paradigm is putting right, out that right some amazing creators have worked on including um you know brandon easton's worked on it and and stephen harris has worked on it um and and you know and those guys just had to do a kickstarter campaign to put out their second trade paperback and i was like You know, Watson at home should be (laughs) like like that. Should be breaking the Image Top 300, or not Image the Diamond Top 300 titles every month, and yet it's it's not for whatever reason, and and it's not that it's a um, inferior book because it's actually a well done. I I know
0: it's very well done, and um, I know we've talked to uh, we've talked to some of the people behind New Paradigm here on the podcast before, actually and um yeah i mean there is a lot there's a lot of good stuff coming out um i think on the page not really great but i think um i think some stuff is being done you know improvements i mean i would love personally i mean i think women in comics have really gotten their voice heard
1: they have and not, uh, but but let me say they, there's more to be heard right. for there, sure. Yes, yeah.
0: there's more to be heard but I, I think, you know, you nailed it earlier, David, when you were saying, you know, people see what they want to see and I mean, really one of the breakout stories of the year was um, Raj Chast with her graphic novel uh, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant which is like a bestseller for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and, weeks. and um, there's, you know, other books by women that are graphic novels that just do phenomenally well, and um, yep. you know, it, it isn't as much commented on. So I actually feel like things with women in comics, despite some of the ugly side of it, it's going really well. I really do feel that um, the representation of of comics, you know, and I just feel like writers, especially. I mean, I just think we need more more writers who have diverse backgrounds, and and. Um, I just feels to me just in talking to even some of my friends, it just feels like a, a struggle right now and um, I mean, do you see things getting better in that way, or you know do you think we need to
1: <laughs> i you know what i I'm one of those people i'm I'm pretty cynical, so I try not to say that I see things getting better because i I, I worry that that means people just become lazy right. and that the fight never goes away that's true i I, I think the the fact that um Going back to Concrete Park, the Concrete Park is not a huge seller. Um, is I don't know why it's not a huge seller. Um I'll be honest, I find the book more compelling than Saga, and I like Saga. Um and yet everybody talks about saga and no one talks about Concrete Park. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm not sure, you know, obviously there's a pedigree there in terms of Brian K. Vaughn as a writer and and what he brings. And, um, and again, I'm not knocking the book because I enjoy it. But uh, when I, when I do, when I see a book like Concrete Park, or when I see a book like Watson and Holmes, which, you know, is nominated for something like three Mm -hmm. Eisners, I believe. And, and for them to still struggle, it, it asks, I'm forced to ask, okay, so what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this picture? And, and it's, and it's a big picture thing. It's, it's that a lot of, um, you know, I don't think there's as many comics journalists or comics critics as there are just fans who are pretty loud.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and the thing is, is like it's okay to be a loud vocal fan, but let's bring some critical thought to this, you know? Let's and and that's the scary thing I see, <laughs> especially once we start talking about gender and race, is that um, there's no critical thought. It is just a lot of knee-jerk reactionary ugly hate speak and you know like i'm too old for that like i'll like i'll take you out behind the woodshed and (laughs) take a switch off the the tree and and i'll learn you as my (laughs) can.
0: you learn ya on the trolling tree yeah i mean it's true i mean i you know i am the same way it's just like you know you just ugh, i haven't got time for the hate you know move yeah. on and you know i feel like we've talked um we're running out of time here but you know i feel like we've talked about so many uh you know these issues that come up over and over again and um you know we could talk so much more uh you have so much that you know you make films again you you, you know written other comics and um, I know you have a lot of irons in the fire. I mean, there's so much we could talk about here. And um, you know, do you get tired of talking about these issues, or you know, being that guy? Or
1: <laughs> I do, and I don't. Um, I'm I, I'm at this age now where I'm getting comfortable with the realization that um, that this is sort of the role I have in life. We I was I was we were talking. I was talking with some friends about Dwayne McDuffie recently with people who knew Dwayne McDuffie as I did. And when he passed three years ago, he left this huge void right and part of that void was that he was really um, a champion for bringing other people along and really encouraging other people and And I kind of came to this realization that like we all have to do what we 're good at and try to help other people along the way and 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 not see everything as a competition. And, and so I often ask myself, you know, what would Dwayne say right now? (laughs) And Dwayne would usually say, I'm really busy. Let's, let's walk and talk about this at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of how he was. Um, and so for me to talk about this stuff, yeah, it frustrates me sometimes. And, you know, obviously you and I are having a civil conversation. Sometimes it doesn't get that civil. Sometimes it turns to shouting matches and that I would prefer not to do, but, you know, I mean, again, going back to, uh, like, Kelly Sue, Kelly Sue will be the first person to point out to me if I've said something sexist or misogynistic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and there's always this moment of shock when her or any of my other friends who, you know, are progressive thinkers catch me um, thinking in a way that is not progressive. And as much as it bothers me, I'm grateful for the opportunity to grow as a human being Mm -hmm. and and to to change my thinking. And so, in that regard, I don't mind doing it. I don't mind doing it if I can help people um, sort of reconnect with their humanity. Because I I believe that when we're talking about oppression, whether it's oppression based on race or gender or sexual identity, you name it, um, in order to oppress another person in order to dehumanize them we have to give up a bit of our own humanity in order to do that right and so i believe that that in order to regain humanity you have to help your oppressor see what they're doing wrong and and so in that regard you know talking about the sort of stuff i've i found a way to talk about it in a way that works for me i couch everything in these conversations generally around popular culture because people understand that you know and 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 I can break down for them you know why, even though you love Wizard of Oz, it's a very problematic film, you know? <laughs> oh
0: my God, you should read the original books, as I'm sure you have, but um, yeah. oh yes. my God, um yeah, yeah, you know um you why? know it's it's funny though how how people of our generation are like, you know, oh, we read that, and we turned out okay, and like sometimes if you show them to you know younger people who really have more of a um I don't know, energized view of these things, and they're like, oh my god, how could you possibly read that? And then you really feel like, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's it's like, I I didn't read Ender's Game until like two, three years ago, and... I was like, "What?" And then, and then, then, you know, Orson Scott Card comes out with some of the stuff that he says, and I was like, "Oh, well, that makes sense to me." Yeah. Whereas all my friends were like, "Oh, no, no, he he couldn't have been like this when he wrote these books." And I'm like, <laughs> "No, these books are about genocide. They're about killing off those that are different." Um, so,
0: you know, yeah. can you it, imagine it, if, if Robert Heinlein were alive today? Yeah, <laughs> the internet. Yeah, Jesus. Um. You know what before we run out of time just to get back to Shaft again yes. um son with the artist Bilka Severly, who's uh, actually a woman from Brazil so yes. you know talk about diversity we've got a very culturally <laughs> diverse team but um you know what just just give us a little bit more of a log line about the first issue uh, which is coming out in December the first week of December again
1: Okay the first issue is just really it's it's a it's about a pivotal moment in John Shaft's life when he thinks um his life is going one way and it turns out it goes another and and this is setting up for what in issue two is where he becomes a detective all right for detective agency so it's it's um it's grounded in sort of the classic tropes of um of of boxing and 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 the underworld as it involves boxing um because shaft thinks he's going to be the next Muhammad Ali, and, <laughs> and that ain't about to happen. So,
0: all right. Well, uh, I will definitely be there, and uh, we'll find out how Shaft became such a complicated man. I guess right. So, yep. um, well, this is awesome, David. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And, um, I, you know, we keep certainly let us know uh, other projects you have coming up. And, um, you know, we will be looking for a Shaft when it comes out from Dynamite next month. And until then, there's more to come. Thank you. All right.